from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Bringing in a new uh, new topic, it looks like Israel. The IDF is absolutely kicking butt with Hamas. That's what it looks like. We will uh, we will see if this is continued, and we'll see if the Biden administration allows it to be continued. And bringing in our great friend and mentor and teacher, General Jack Keane, retired four-star general and chairman of the Institute for the Study of War and Fox News senior strategic analyst, and also a Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. I was in the room when he got it. General Keene, welcome back, sir. Thanks for helping us today. Yeah, delighted to be here, Larry, as, as always. Thank you, sir. Um, just a quick review. How do you see it? It looks like Israel's making great progress in Gaza, but it also looks like a, a second front is opening up uh, in the north in Lebanon from Hez- Hezbollah. Uh, how do you see it, General Keene? Well, first of all, yes. I mean, Israel is conducting, uh, you know, clearing operations. They did in northern Gaza. There's still still some of that operation uh, taking place there and still some, uh, you know, some combat activity. But the, the main effort has shifted to the south. Uh, a city where uh, Han, Han Yunus is the center of that. It's the major city uh, in the south. It's where most of... Uh, Hamas's leaders are, um, so our audience understands. Hamas uh, started this, you know, they're more of a military organization than a terrorist organization that operates in small cells and pokes its head out, uh, conducting surprise attacks, you know, kind of characteristic of terrorists. They're organized in five brigades, 24 to 25 battalions, uh, as part of those five brigades. The Israelis have destroyed the equivalent of one of those brigades. And uh, so there's four remaining in some form of uh, combat effectiveness. So much of what Israel is doing lies ahead of it. And he, he, and I know people, uh, because war is now 24-7, uh, people have expectations that things are just going to end quickly. And what the Israelis are about is systematically taking down uh, Hamas, as it hides in its tunnel complex, shields the civilians to protect itself. And and this is a laborious task. And also to give our audience some sense of this, the Israelis have developed a grid square system uh, in the southern part of uh, Gaza where they, they tell uh, the civilian population to move out of grid square X and you can go to Y and Z, uh, and which would be safer for you. Well, just think about that for a second. Uh, that certainly is helping the civilians, and the Israelis have, have said that they want to get the civilians out of the battlefield as much as they possibly can, but it also tells Hamas, you know, where they're going and what uh, what their focus is going to be. So that increases the liability, certainly, for uh, Israelis' military troops. Like Most people who are looking at this grid system that they've developed, while it's imperfect, give the Israelis an awful lot of credit uh, for taking that extra step to try to preserve uh, civilian life as much as possible. To give you another sense and remind us what we're dealing with here with Hamas, there's an open strip of land on the coast referred to as Al-Mawasi. There's no infrastructure there whatsoever. So the Israelis have told people to go there and remove yourself completely 
from city-type infrastructure. It's about, uh, you know, eight, eight, eight miles in length. It's a narrow piece of ground. And what does Hamas do? As the people have moved in there, they start firing rockets from there. Mm. They did that yesterday. Mm. And, of course, what they want the Israelis to do is return fire. Then they have not. Mm. And that's where civilians are there. Let me just understand this. Civilians are shepherded there, and then Hamas attacks the civilians? No. The civilians have moved to El Mawasi, which is, uh, as I indicated, just a strip of land on the coast. Right. Uh, and there's nothing there. But they're, you know, they're setting up tents and trying to survive there. Right. And then Hamas sets up rockets and missiles and fires them into Israel from there. Oh, because I they see. want the Israelis to fire back and kill uh, the civilians. So and they're hiding. Just another, they're just hiding. another example of how, how diabolical, you know, Hamas is. This is this, as you know, Larry. There is pressure on the Israeli government and the IDF by the United States behind the scenes. The, the United States is pressuring them to end this campaign in the south in a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. And the, the Israelis have picked up the tempo of their operations. But nonetheless, to do this systematically, it's going to take some time. And what they should not do is go to a premature ceasefire. If something like that happens because of undue United States and international pressure, Hamas is going to declare a victory because they'll have their leaders intact They'll have a lot of their organizations still intact, and they they will have the ability to reattack at some point. And that is what the Israelis this time around really want to eliminate. As much as we say we want to dismantle Hamas, what the Israelis really want to do is prevent Hamas from ever being able to conduct a consequential attack on Israel again. It was very much the same objective that the United States had after the tragedy of 9-11, we went to Afghanistan to make certain that the al-Qaeda could never again conduct an attack like that on the United States. And, of course, that, that largely succeeded. That never did happen. So that's what this is about. We who look at this at the Institute for the Study of War believe strongly, let the Israelis finish what they started. It is about the security of the Israeli people and the sovereignty of the Israeli nation and its very existence. Let them finish the job. Well, there are reports, as you just indicated, that um, Anthony Blinken and others are telling Israel, you've got to end this thing in a couple of weeks by the end of the year. So that's like three weeks. Uh, I don't see how that can get done. Well, militarily, it cannot. Uh, given uh, what I just said, that uh, the majority of Hamas's organization is still capable of fighting. Hmm. And that has to be dismantled. And because it's not exposing itself, I mean, this is not two armies facing itself out on the field of play, so to speak. They're hiding. They don't want to be found. And they're hiding much of their military infrastructure. And, of course, they're hiding the hostages as well. So this makes the operation considerably complex, given the vast amount of tunnels that are, are beneath, uh, beneath the cities, obviously, in, in 
in Gaza. And there's still roughly 130 some odd hostages, I might add, some of whom are American hostages. What are we going to do about that? I mean, if you can't mop them up in three weeks, what are we going to do about that? I think, you know, Hamas broke from the past and took these hostages. They had never done anything like that. They wanted these hostages clearly as leverage. You saw them use it to delay Israel's military operation. They gave up some hostages. And I think they'll keep hostages, and they'll offer some up again, once again, likely to delay their operation. And then they're going to hold on to a certain number of them, um, likely most of them being males and, and the IDF soldiers that they have mm. to protect the regime leadership. The regime leadership uh, obviously wants to survive this thing, and they're, and they're going to use those hostages, I, I suspect, as the heads to do that. What's doing up north? Um, our Fox reporters uh, have been reporting uh, an increase in activity, in military activity. Uh, coming from Hezbollah, and of course Israel has to return fire uh, up in the north part and in you know Lebanon. That looks like that whole issue is still very much alive. Yes, I mean what what Hezbollah is doing is is sort of certainly supporting Hamas by opening up uh, a limited front that forces Israel to put a number of the IDF troops up there. And they're keeping that level of activity high enough so that those troops, you know, cannot go into the campaign in the south. Now, what, even though they've increased the level of, of, of attacks uh, into Israel, they have not unleashed the powerhouse that they really have. And that's the 130,000 uh, rockets and missiles that are, have greater range, more lethality, and more precision than what Hamas has. And they have the capability of not just attacking across the border, which we're seeing with artillery and mortars and some short-range rockets, but they can reach every city in Israel, given the ranges of those systems. And they have not done that. So that front would, when we think about the northern front opening up and Hamas coming into the war, I mean, excuse me, Hezbollah coming into the war, what we're really talking about is them unleashing Hmm. elements of that 130,000 long-range rockets and missiles they have, and they are, and the target would be Israeli urban centers. That would be a different front. The Israelis would respond with massive amount of air power, and if they couldn't handle that job themselves, Larry, they would ask the United States to assist. They never, ever asked us from 1948 to the present to ever, ever assist with our own weapons and our own troops. But if, that, if they needed help, we would certainly assist them. We have given them all the information we have on where those rockets, missiles, launchers are, storage sites, everything we know about it, they have from us. And if they wanted our physical help, certainly I cannot imagine the Biden administration saying no to a request like that. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a very important statement. Uh, with the, the United States would do that. That's right. They've never asked us to do that before. Uh, General, can we take a break? I want to talk to you about some other matters. Uh, General Frank McKenzie is saying we should, the United States has got to respond to the Houthi attacks. 
I'd like to talk some about Iran. If we could just uh, give a quick commercial break, sir, and we'll come right back to you if that's okay. Folks, we're talking sure. to Gen- Thank you, uh, General Jack Keane, uh, retired four-star chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, Fox News senior strategic analyst and Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. Uh, former Middies commander calls on Biden to respond to Houthi attacks. That's going to be the next subject. And then, of course, we want to talk about the Iran story. I'm Kudlow. We're talking with General Keene. We'll be right back, folks. Kudlow. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking with General Jack Keane, retired four-star general, chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, Fox News senior strategic analyst and Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. Uh, General Keane, I'll read you a story. Former Mideast commander calls on Biden to respond to Houthi attacks. Retired General Frank McKenzie said Iran has taken the lack of a strong U.S. military response as an invitation to continue its aggressive behavior. And then he goes on to say, sometimes you have to throw a pitch. You can't catch eternally because eventually the law of average is going to turn against you and you're going to take a significant escalatory event on a ship. Uh, This, of course, the Houthis are assaulting commercial shipping. Houthis are also firing rockets at Israel uh, and so forth. You probably know, Mackenzie, and let me get your opinion on this. Why aren't we responding? Yeah, this is largely the White House is doing here. They, they fear that if we take aggressive action against the Houthis or against the Iranian proxies in Iraq and Syria who just in the last 24 hours, conducted another 10 attacks uh, on our bases, they believe that that could possibly escalate and we would be at a war with Iran. I I think that is completely unfounded, given the history uh, of Iran, who uses these proxies and don't want to get involved directly themselves. And certainly, I completely, I know General McKenzie well. He was an outstanding commander at Central Command. Uh, which is the command, the U.S. military command that oversees the the Middle East, and uh, he's absolutely right. One, we should declare them a terrorist organization, which the Biden administration removed that designation when they come in. Right. That was a complete absurdity. Mm-hmm. They did it to uh, placate the Iranians, you know, to help begin this diplomatic overture to them that they made. They also pulled back on the Trump's oil sanctions. Mm. which has now made Iran flush with money. All these signals indicate to Iran that the United States does not want to play a strong hand uh, in the Middle East, and they are clearly taking advantage uh, advantage of it. And, and look, at Putin isn't in Russia if he didn't think the United States 
uh, was in a weakened position after Afghanistan, and likely that Biden he sees as as a weak leader, and like President Xi, he sees the United States in decline. What the American people have to understand is these things are connected. Russia's aggression, Iran and Hamas's aggression, and all the proxies in the Middle East, and President Xi's aggression that he has stepped up in the last two or three years, which triples what he had done in the previous years, all are related because they operate in their own national interests, but they're cooperating with us, with each other to take advantage of what they see as the United States' vulnerability. And they're advancing their national interests because they think they can get away with it. And what McKenzie is saying, you've got to convince them they're not going to get away with it. You have to respond, and he's absolutely right. We still, to this day, have not enforced the Iranian sanctions. I mean, I, I just find that incredible. And Kirby, John Kirby, the National Security Council spokesman, he has said this past week, he was very clear, he said that they understand that Iran is running the Houthis, okay, and that Iran is running Hezbollah and Hamas. He said that. So I'm just watching this. My mouth drops. Uh, why aren't we doing anything about it? You've suggested how tough we should be on Iran. Iran is still selling a lot of oil to China. Their foreign exchange reserves have gone up. Their oil revenues have gone up. Uh, they're the puppet master. They're the paymaster. And yet no, we've had no response. It's like we are more afraid of Iran than Iran is afraid of us. That can't be a good thing. Oh, it's not. And, and, you know, the other part of this is our allies in the region are watching this. I mean, can you imagine we, we just we've developed these improved relationships that the Trump team started with the UAE, Bahrain, two Arab countries and and also Sudan and Morocco with Israel normalized relations. And they, they're doing that. Uh, certainly because they want the economic relationship with Israel. But what's really behind it is they're stitching together uh, people to be able to stand up against Iran, and the United States is part of that. So we're undermining uh, all of that because of our weakness right there in front of our, uh, our allies, our Arab allies in the region, but not even responding to being attacked ourselves in any consequential way. What are they thinking in terms of U.S. ability to help protect them, you know, if they're attacked? Watching how feeble we are. That the Biden administration is, is thinking that, look, at if we escalate, uh, then Iran's going to escalate and we're going to walk up this ladder of escalation, which could lead to war. That paralysis, that fear is what held Obama back for years mm. from being able to confront his adversaries. It's why he didn't provide aid in any consequential way to help the uh, to help the Ukrainians. It's why he didn't respond when Assad uses chemical weapons, uh, even though he said he would. And to show that kind of weakness, our adversaries just keep coming, and that's that's the reality of what we're facing. And this is coming out of the White House. It's their fear and their paralysis that is holding back the United States military from doing what they would want to do here, which is respond consequentially to these attacks. I mean, look, at um, I worked for President Trump 
uh, I had something to do with designing the sanctions. But even more than that, remember Trump, Trump bombed the airport in Syria. That was a shot across the bow. He did that while they were having dessert with uh, Xi Jinping in Mar-a-Lago. Then Trump wound up bombing uh, ISIS to death, basically, and Trump took out Soleimani, uh, who was the head of all the terrorist operations. Um, you know, he, he was the master of all that. We didn't, Iran didn't come at us. They stopped. I mean, when we showed strength, they stopped. That's exactly what Reagan did in the 80s. Yeah. When, the, uh, when the Iranians were interfering with the flow of oil out of the... Uh, out of the Gulf, we put our ships out there to escort them with some other international ships, and they came after us. And what did Reagan do? He went right after them. He knocked down their oil platforms, and he attacked the patrol bases that were attacking uh, us. What happened? General Jack Keane, thank you, sir. We appreciate your rundown very, very much. Talk soon. Appreciate it. All right, folks, we're going to take a break, and we're going to go back to this crazy Hunter Biden story with Greg Jarrett. I'm Kudlow.